Matthew chapter 18, we pick it up at verse 21. Matthew writes, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but, uh, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, the master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. <clears throat> then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all uh, that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to uh, you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And just a powerful portion of scripture here before us. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been studying through the, the Gospel of Matthew for a while, and a half, <laughs> year and a half plus. We're going to be done soon. But you know what? We're taking that leisurely pace because we want to learn all that we can about Jesus, our Savior. We've been, we've been studying the Gospel, not wanting to miss anything. We want to allow it to go deep into our, our hearts and to take root and to uh, grow and bear fruit in our lives. I mean, I, it's our desire that the word of God would become part of our DNA, that it would be part of our very being, our very existence, and that it would have the final authority in our lives. You know, we want eternity to be stamped on our hearts as we seek to live our lives for Jesus. And so, I'm so happy if you're visiting here today that you're joining us this morning in our study of the word. This morning, we're headed into a very important part of Matthew chapter 18. But before we get started, we need to understand that these verses, they, they don't stand alone, right? Matthew 18, 21 through 35, they're to be seen in the context of the previous verses. This is a continuation of the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. <clears throat> now, in verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and asks him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
up to seven times. Jesus comes, uh, Peter comes to Jesus and asks him this question in response to the things that Jesus had been saying uh, up to this point, verses 15 through 20. Jesus just spoke in verses 15 through 20 to the disciples and he gave to them, and matter of fact, he gave it to us too, right? Three steps that we're to follow when a brother or a sister in the body of Christ sins against us. Jesus lays out for us how we're to address that situation so that we don't slip into a life of bitterness, right? A life of anger and resentment. We're to go to that brother or sister who sinned against us. We're to go to them alone and we're to address that sin. We're to, con to address that offense with that other person with the hopes right, that the issues will be resolved and settled so that that relationship will be reconciled and restored. And the process is never to be initiated by either party with the attitude of, you know what, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to tell them exactly what I think of them. I'm going to let them know what they did to me and how I feel about it. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I mean, that's not the way we're to go to them. We're not to go to them in order to get some type of satisfaction or to knock them down a notch or two. That's not the purpose. We're not to go to them loaded for bear, so to speak, right? We're to go to them with the purpose and the goal of reconciliation and restoration of that relationship. The idea is that we're to go to that brother and sister with uh, again, with, to them alone, right, with the heart of gaining them as a brother and sister. We're to tell them in love the fault, right, that, they, that they've committed the, the sin or the offense in hopes that they might see the truth and say, wow, you're, you're so right. And I can't believe I've, I've acted that way. You know, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me. You know, sometimes I think, uh, you know, when people look at the way Jesus commands us to deal with these brothers and sisters, you know, um, sometimes I think because we've taken the high road, everything that's demanded in the situation is actually, in our mind, demanded of them, right? Uh, there's no demand placed on me. And so, you know, what happens is in the moment when we follow the instructions of Jesus, you know, we'll go and we'll con confront that person with their sin. You know, what, what happens is they confess their sin and they repent and they ask for forgiveness. And all of a sudden it hits us. Shoot, now I got to forgive these guys, but I'm not ready to forgive them. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Um, you know, I have. And what I think that's going on in our passage here in verse 21, Peter is thinking through the things that Jesus has just said. And in his mind, he's thinking, you know what? There must be an upper limit to the number of times that I need to forgive someone. I mean, I think Peter's thinking, there's only so many times I can forgive someone a sin that they've committed against me. There's only so many times that I can be expected to 
forgive them before I'm justified in just writing them off. Right? So Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You know, up to seven times. And Peter actually is being very, very gracious, saying up to seven times. Because during this time, the rabbinical teaching was three times, right? You were obligated to forgive somebody who sinned against you three times. After that, there was no further obligation. You didn't have to forgive them. You know, I think it's a, a Jewish version of the three strike rule, I guess. I don't know. But the Jewish leaders, they too thought that there must be an upper limit to this. And so they set their limit at three. But Peter comes to Jesus saying up to seven times. I mean, Peter goes way out on a limb and he says something just utterly ridiculous. You know, just completely outrageous. He takes what the rabbis say, he doubles it, and he adds one for good measure. You know, Peter is going way beyond the spiritual standard for the Jews of this day. You know, and I don't know. I kind of wonder. I don't want to be too hard on Peter. I'm going to have to, you know, see him and maybe give an answer to him why I was rough on him during a Sunday morning. But I wonder if Peter was expecting an attaboy from Jesus for, for saying up to seven times. Well, verse 22 says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up, uh, but up to 70 times seven. So, you know, I don't want you doing the math. You probably already know 70 times seven, that's seven times seven, that's 49 times 10. 490 times, you know? The idea isn't that someone is sinning against us and we're to keep count. That's not what's being said here. 488, you're walking a thin line now, buddy. 489, you know what? One more time, I'm going to sock him in the melon. 490, that's it. I'm done with you, you big fat loser. You get out of my side. I never want to see you again, you know? Jesus isn't being literal here. The disciples would understand that Jesus is using poetic language. And the idea is that the number should be so great, you would lose count. If one person was to sin against you so many times, 490 times, let's say, you're either going to look for a way to kill him or... You know what you're going to do is you're going to develop a spirit of forgiveness in your life. We're to forgive and to forgive and to keep on forgiving. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's not about a number, right? It's about developing a spirit of forgiveness in our lives as Christians. We are no longer keeping count how many times a person is sinning against us. We're not to do that, right? So that when a person comes to us repentant and asks us to forgive them, we're willing to forgive them from our heart. That's what Jesus wants for us. When Peter comes to Jesus with this gracious offer of forgiveness up to seven times, uh, it seemed like a lot to him. And you know what? In our culture today, it probably seems like an awful lot. But you know what? It's not a lot for the body of Christ. 
You know, if you think about it, what marriage would survive if you only forgave your spouse seven times and then that was it? You know, uh, I see some people leaning over, you know. Yeah, no marriage would survive. You know, most marriages wouldn't, wouldn't survive the honeymoon, probably. Certainly no marriage would see their one-year anniversary, right? What parent would see their kids grow to maturity, you know, if the upper limit of extending forgiveness was seven times? You know, kids would be sent packing during the so-called terrible twos if that was the case, right? What child would put up with their parent if the upper limit of forgiveness was seven times? You know, what church would survive if forgiveness was extended to a maximum of seven times? What we see here, <coughs> excuse me, is Jesus is throwing out this generous offer of Peter's high seven times of forgiveness <clears throat> and extending it to 490 times. Again, it's a figurative way of saying that we're to forgive without number, without any limits at all. You know, John Calvin, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> John Calvin said, if I'm going to err in this life, I'm going to err on the side of grace. And you know what? I want to echo that in my life. You know, if I'm going to err, I want to err on the side of grace and mercy. You know, if I'm going to err, I want my err to be that I showed people too much love, too much compassion, too much grace, too much mercy. You know, because Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's what I want. That's what I need. I don't know. What about, what about you? You know, I'm going uh, to err if I'm going to err. <laughs> I'm going to err too. But if I'm going to err, I want to err on the side of grace and mercy. You know what? I haven't actually gotten to that place where that's who I am. I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing on towards that goal so that I can more accurately represent Jesus Christ, my Savior, accurately represent his heart. Well, what's happening, uh, what's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't stop right here, right? He doesn't stop uh, after saying to Peter 70 times seven. He continues in verse 23 and he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus gives to Peter and to the rest of the disciples a parable. He introduces a parable to them. And it would appear that Jesus anticipates the question that Peter's going to have. He's anticipating the question the disciples are going to have. He's anticipating the question that we're going to have. Okay, Jesus, the rabbis are teaching to extend forgiveness three times. Peter says up to seven times. You know, that actually seems a lot to me, but okay. Now you're telling us 490 times as a figure of speech, meaning that we're, we're not to be counting. We're not to keep track. We're to forgive without any limits at all. That's what you're saying, right, Jesus? Jesus anticipates the single biggest question that comes to the mind of those that seriously think through this and think about what Jesus is saying. 
And that is this, the single great question. Okay, but how am I going to be able to do that? How in the world does a person develop that kind of forgiveness as a lifestyle? And so that's what Jesus is wanting to communicate to us through this parable. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. The king here in the parable represents God the Father. And the king wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And just as a side note, we don't want to miss this. There is a day coming when the king of kings is going to settle accounts with all of us. It's a sobering thought. Christian and non-Christian alike will stand before uh, a holy God, will stand before the Lord, and will have to give an account for their lives. Well, Jesus continues, verse 24, And when he had begun, begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So 10,000 talents would be somewhere in the neighborhood of $90 million in today's money, give or take, you know, a few hundred thousand, you know. But the intent is, this is to be seen as just a ridiculous sum of money, right? Verse 25, but as he was not able to... Uh, pay, and I'm not surprised by that at all. I mean, how many lifetimes would it take to pay off a debt of $90 million? But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold into a debtor's prison with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. In other words, the king commands justice. There's nothing unrighteous about what the king is doing here, right? This is the way these things were handled in the ancient world. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him. And you need to put yourself as best you can into the shoes of this servant who has just gargantuan debt. You know, you, your wife, your kids, they're going to be thrown into a debtor's prison. Everything that you own is about to be sold at auction. You owe $90 million, and there's no way, even in your wildest dreams, there's no way you're ever going to work off that debt. There's no hope for you. And there's no conceivable way that you'll ever be free from the crushing weight of that debt. You, your wife, and your kids will never be released from that prison. You're never going to see uh, or experience freedom again. It's over for you. In verse 26, the servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. You know, there's no way this guy's going to pay back that kind of money. But you need to see just the great emotion that's involved in this scene. You need to try to picture that. In verse 27, right? Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. The master forgives the servant's debt. He blots it out, erases that debt completely, not on the basis of anything that that servant had done, the king does it solely on the basis of his own character, his own compassion. 
He completely forgives that debt. And again, I want you to try to imagine this. You know, I would venture to guess that nobody here is in debt $90 million if for no other reason the bank wouldn't, um, you know, allow it. But imagine having that kind of impossible debt. And then having it forgiven. Having that weight lifted off of, of your life. I mean, think of the, the emotion that you would experience in that moment. You know, the elation. You know, you wouldn't be able to believe your ears. What? You're forgiving me? That's it? And I'm forgiven? I mean, just like that? That's it? I mean... For most of us, maybe that's something that's really hard to imagine. Again, you know, uh, it's hard to imagine being in debt $90 million. So if that's hard for you to imagine, try this out. Imagine you have a great aunt or a great uncle, and they've died, and they've left you $90 million. You know what? How would you feel then? Wow, I don't believe it. I mean, that would be incredible. Could you imagine $90 million in your bank account? Unbelievable, amazing, wonderful, too good to be true. And what Jesus is doing here is he's painting a picture of the fact that God has forgiven us just an unimaginable, incredible debt, a debt created by our sins, which we could never repay. You could never erase the debt of sin, even in a thousand lifetimes. The king forgives the servant, but not on the basis of anything the servant brings to the table, right? He has nothing to offer the king, especially in the light of a debt that size. And in a similar way, our king, the Lord, because of Calvary, has forgiven us just an incredible debt in a debt that is actually infinitely greater than $90 million. And he's forgiven us of that debt at an enormous expense to himself, right? The king in the parable absorbed the entire debt at great expense to himself. And God the Father has absorbed my entire debt, which my sins generated, a debt that your sins generated, a debt that we owe spiritually to the Lord. He absorbed that debt through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, there on the cross, there on Calvary. You know how wonderful it is to be saved. Man, it's just so amazing to be saved, to be freed from our sin, to be freed from the debt of sin, to be freed from a debt that we could never repay, to be freed from a judgment that our sins deserve. And it's, and it's all been lifted from us. It's all been taken out of the way, the Bible says. Not because of who or what we are, not because of anything that we've done, but because we came to him humbly, asked him for mercy and for forgiveness. You know, it was his heart. He was the one that was moved with compassion. And the king in the parable, representing God the Father, forgave the servant's enormous debt 
and set that servant free. And the reality of what God the Father has done for us in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to pay our debt uh, there on Mount Calvary is unbelievable. You know, and and it's overwhelmingly amazing when you just stop and take time and think about it. I mean, you know what? It says in in Ephesians that it's going to take ages to come for him to explain the goodness that he's shown towards us. It's how wonderful it is. Verse 28, but the servant went out, you know, forgiven and released from his tremendous debt and found one of his fellow servants. So we shouldn't think that this forgiven servant just ran into this other servant, his fellow servant at church or at the post office or at the grocery store. He went out looking for this guy is what is implied here. And he finds his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. And a denarii was the wages of a blue collar worker for a day in those, uh, in those days. It was a day's wages. So you have to ask yourself, how much does a blue collar worker make today, you know, in one day? 150, 200 bucks, maybe. So what this guy owed the forgiven servant is somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars. Right? It's important for us not to look at that hundred denarii and just blow it off and, and just, you know what? It's nothing, right? No, this is a good deal of money, right? It's nothing compared to the ninety million dollars, but it's still a sizable amount of money that's owed to this uh, forgiven servant. And it's going to require some forgiveness on his part for him to forgive his fellow servant that kind of debt. And it says he went out, found one of his fellow servants and laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Again, you just got to picture this scene in your mind. Um, Picture it the best you can. This guy grabs this other servant by the throat and he begins to choke him out right there on the street. And the fellow servant says, or the the forgiven servant says, pay me what you owe. I mean, yikes, that's kind of an ugly scene. Could you imagine walking down the street and seeing somebody grabbing another guy by the throat, choking him out, shaking him, getting his feet off the ground maybe a little bit. Pay me what you owe. I mean, this guy goes out and hunts down this fellow servant who owes him a much, much smaller debt in comparison to to what he owed the king, grabs him by the throat, roughs him up, publicly humiliates him, and demands payment. I mean, it doesn't get uh, much uglier for a person who's just been forgiven so much than to treat a fellow servant uh, this way. It's, It's just shameful. And verse 29 says, So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. You'd think that those words would have jogged his, his uh, memory a bit, right? Because they're the very words that the forgiven servant said to the king, right? Verse 30, and he would not. And it's very important to see it. it doesn't say he could not. It says he would not, right? He would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And you could do that. 
It's certainly within your rights to do that, right? But it's not a good idea because people are watching. People are always watching to see what we're going to do as Christians. In verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. They were so grieved by what uh, they had witnessed. They went and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant. And I think that this is worth noticing. The master never called the servant wicked because he owed $90 million, right? He never called them wicked because of that. But he calls them wicked because he had been forgiven such a great debt. And then he failed to forgive a fellow servant their sin and the debt against him. The king says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not, and this is a key word, also. You know, we cannot be like the God of the Bible without being a forgiving people. How can I possibly ever hope to be like Christ, you know, without being a forgiving person? The king says, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also, in light of all I did for you, have compassion on your fellow servant? And here's some uh, more very important key words right here. Just as I had pity on you. And you know that phrase, just as, should remind us of Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So we see this call here. I have forgiven you so much. Should you also have forgiven him just as I forgave you? In verse 34, his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Now, as we read on, we need to understand verse 35 is not part of the parable, right? Again, Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples. He's speaking to each one of us this morning who call him Lord. Verse 35 is the application of the parable. It's the point of the parable that each one of us are to walk away with this morning. And I admit, it's heavy. And maybe it's something that you've glossed over in the past, not really giving much thought to it. And that's something that we cannot do this morning, right? We need to hear what Jesus says and take it to heart. Verse 35, Jesus says, so my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart, and that's another key phrase for us, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You know, when you look at the Lord's Prayer or look at other places where Jesus teaches on forgiveness, it seems like unforgiveness is the one thing that God the Father and Jesus himself is absolutely intolerant of, right? They don't even want the tiniest foothold of unforgiveness among um, his people. It's not to be found in our lives. And the reason for that is because, again, it's impossible to represent a forgiving God like the God we serve 
and be an unforgiving people. It's to misrepresent God at his core. It's to misrepresent his very nature. And I mean, after all, we're the body of Christ, right? So we have this very strong warning given to us here. We also need to notice that that forgiveness needs to come from our hearts, right? It needs to be genuine. It needs to be real. The attitude of forgiveness needs to be internalized. It needs to dwell within my heart. You know, it's easy to be cordial towards somebody that I haven't forgiven. You know, maybe even somebody that, I hate to say it here, but yeah, maybe somebody I even hate. It's easy to, be, to put on this outward appearance when on the inside of my heart is screaming, man, I hate you. I hate you with a passion. You know, I know we just ran into each other right now, but if I never saw you again in my life, if I never spoke another word to you, I would be completely okay with that. You know, that outward appearance of forgiveness is not the forgiveness that Jesus is talking about, right? He's talking about a genuine, real forgiveness that comes from our hearts. So when Jesus gives this parable, the question that, his, that he's answering, if a person comes to us and confesses they're wrong and asks us to forgive them, even if it's 490 times, the question is, how do we do that? And the answer is, how we do that is through remembering what he's done for us. God has provided for us a motivation for forgiveness that is limitless, right? A motivation for us to extend forgiveness to every single person in the world who would ever sin against us, you know? And, and the forgiveness, the motivation is the forgiveness that God has extended to us every single day as Christians. No one will ever sin against me more than I've sinned against God, even unintentionally, even on a daily basis. So when God calls us to forgive another person and I'm faced with the thought, how in the world can I possibly forgive them after all that they've done to me? I can do it by remembering how much God has forgiven me and how much he continues to forgive me. And then extending that forgiveness to others becomes an act of worship to him. Forgiveness doesn't mean that I trust that person. You know, uh, forgiveness and trust are two completely different things. Forgiveness, you know, is something that's unearned when a person comes to me and asks me uh, to forgive them, right? It's unearned when we extend that to another person. Trust, on the other hand, is something that is earned and something that has to be re-earned when it's violated. But when a person sins against us, we're to forgive them as an act of worship to God. God, you know what? They don't deserve my forgiveness. You know, they don't deserve my forgiveness in this situation any more than I deserve your uh, forgiveness that you've extended to me, right? But you call me to forgive and I want to represent you in a proper manner. So I choose as an act of my will, as an act of worship, I choose to forgive them and take this situation and put it into your hands. And I trust you, Lord, that you'll work this situation out for my good. 
And when we do that, you know what? We're able to, we're free to move on with our life. The Bible says in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Whatever needs to be taken care of in a situation, you know, it needs to be entrusted to God, right? Whatever correction is necessary, whatever discipline is needed, you know, even if it's some other harsh measure, no one is getting away with anything. God is going to deal with that person. And God is able in terms of power, in terms of wisdom, in terms of love. God is more able to bring about correction to a person that needs correction than we would ever hope to be. To forgive someone their sins against us is not to do nothing. It's to entrust the situation to God, to trust the word of God. For he's promised that he'll work all things, even that situation together for our good. That's the sure promise of the Lord for us. Sometimes when a person really sins against me, you know, and, and I mean not that average little sin that makes me bitter for a few hours or makes me bitter for, you know, a few days or a week or two. And I'm talking about, you know, the thing that makes you so angry because it's so unfair. You know, something uh, that produces such a sense of injustice within you. You know, something that can produce this long-lasting, you know, bitterness. And that, that thing is it's stirring within us. You know, we come to that place where we can realize, you know, this thing's going to swallow me whole. I'm in trouble now. You know, one, one of the things that is important to do in that situation, a situation like that, it's just exactly what we're talking about, Right? We're to remember what we've been forgiven of. You know, we're not to dwell on our past. Our sins of our past, they're in the past. Thank God for that. But it doesn't do us any harm when we're faced with a need to forgive someone else. It doesn't do us any harm to think of the three, four, five things that, that I've done in my life, right, where I've committed a sin that is that I'm so ashamed of, so deeply ashamed of. You know, those sins that I don't want anyone else to know about. And then to realize that God has forgiven me of those sins. And to, you know, take the time to meditate on the greatness of his forgiveness, which he's extended to me. And then come to that place where we can say, yes, Lord, you, you forgave me of so much so much. So I'll forgive them in response to your great love and forgiveness that you've extended to me, the mercy that you've extended to me. The inexhaustible motivation to forgive others is how much he has forgiven us in comparison to the demand placed on us to forgive others, right? Whether it's a friend, a stranger, a coworker, a neighbor, or even a fellow servant. We have been forgiven so much that, that 
anything or anyone else could possibly require of us in terms of forgiveness. And in the light of that understanding, you know, how could we possibly refuse to forgive someone who's wronged us? You know, another thing that's a help to me in my walk with the Lord, and you're probably just like me, you know, I'm in the Word all the time. You know, I'm trying to study it. I'm trying to gain a deeper understanding of what the Lord has done for me. And, you know, forgiveness is something that I've been working on for the last 42 years, you know, as being a believer. You know, and I'm still trying to figure out what forgiveness, you know, looks like practically in, in any given situation. And there are a handful of times where people have just gone above and beyond you know, in the area of sinning against me or attacking me. And bitterness towards them was something that was, you know, beginning to grow on my heart. And the thing that's helpful in those situations is to look at Jesus, right? We're always to look to Jesus, right? And, and I'm very much a flawed vessel. You know, I don't have this stuff down, but again, I'm working on it. You know, and I have this one a great desire in my heart. And that is to be like Jesus, to allow him to live his life expressed through mine, that people would see Jesus in me. And that desire, it's a sincere, genuine desire in my heart. I want to have a walk that's worthy of the call that's been placed upon my life. You know, I want to, have, I want to be a witness and bring glory to his name. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, right, he writes to them, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, right? He's our example. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's the physical side, speaking of the physical side of his sacrifice for us. Despising the shame, that's the mental an emotional side of his sacrifice for us uh, enduring the cross. And afterwards, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to look at Jesus there on Mount Calvary, right? The greatest scene of injustice in human history is the brutal murder of Jesus. You'd expect to see Jesus there full of venom, and revenge, right, full of hatred towards Jew and Gentile uh, for the injustice they had committed against him. You'd expect to see anger and bitterness, and all of that would have been justified in the situation. What do you see when you look at the cross? You know, you can't find a shred of bitterness or anger. What you see is forgiveness. You know, you see Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. You know, Peter wrote 1 Peter 2, 23, 23, uh, 21, 23, said, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And this is the point, verse 23 who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself, and your Bible might read, entrusted himself, but committed himself to him who judges 
righteously. You know, the only way we can be like Jesus is to adopt that attitude. The attitude of forgiveness and then committing ourselves, entrusting ourselves and that situation to a God who judges righteously. We need to realize as we look at the cross, if God can take the most unfair, unjust event in the history of mankind and then work that out together for salvation of you and for me, for salvation of all mankind, then any violation that people may commit against us in our lifetime, he's fully able, right, to take that sin that's been committed against us, no matter how heinous, horrific, or terrible, unfair, or unjust it may be, and then work it together for our good. That's the God that we serve. And maybe you're here this morning and you're about to be overtaken by bitterness as a result of sins committed against you. You need to, you know, ask Jesus, ask the Lord for help. You need to say to the Lord, God, I see that the bitterness and anger, you know, that's growing in my heart is a greater threat to me than the actual sin that's been committed against me. I see it's going to damage my walk and my fruitfulness, and my relationship with you, right? Would you please give me the ability here in this situation to forgive? And I ask you, Lord, please take the bitterness away from my heart. I ask you to help in response to all that you've done for me. Give me that forgiving heart in this situation. And you know what? God will give you the ability to forgive. We can forgive, especially when we view the situation in light of what God has forgiven us of, right? Like the king in the parable, the personal cost to God the Father in order to absorb the debt that we owed so that we might be forgiven is greater than any one of us or all of us collectively could ever imagine far greater than any demand that will ever be placed on us to forgive, right? This is a very, very powerful parable that Jesus gives us here. It's something that we all run into during the course of our, uh, you know, lives as we walk with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I really love Peter. I mean, you know what? Uh, I'm thankful that Peter asks questions. I don't, know about, I don't know about you. Maybe you remember when you were in school. Maybe you went to a professional conference and, uh, you know, the teacher, the speaker of the conference, you know, they said something that just straight over your head. You have no idea what they're talking about. And then they ask the question, you understand? Is it clear? And you know what? You, you look around the room and it looks like everybody else gets it, you know? And uh, you're thinking to yourself, no, it's not clear. I don't even have the foggiest idea what you're talking about. You know, but you don't want to look like a doof in front of everybody else, so you just keep silent. And has it ever happened to you? No? <laughs> don't, raise your, don't raise your hand. You know, but then to your great joy, what happens? Some kid over there or some person over there says, uh, yeah, excuse me, I don't understand. Would you repeat it again, please? You know, that's that's 
Peter's that guy for us. You know, I'm so happy he speaks up when, you know, we don't understand exactly what it is that Jesus is speaking to us so we can have a better understanding. And what we learn because Peter asked this question is that Jesus commands us to forgive, right? Those who've trespassed against us. And with that command, God will give you the ability to let go of those wrongs, right? As I said last week, God's commandments are his enablements. To respond in a way like this forgiven servant, you know, to have an unforgiving heart is really to make one suspect whether or not they've ever really tasted the Lord's compassion, mercy, you know, his goodness, his grace, right? Because if you've tasted of the Lord's compassion, mercy, and grace in a real way, you can't help but extend that compassion and forgiveness to others. God, help us. You know, God, help us that each one of us would forgive others from our hearts, right? God has forgiven each of us so much. Again, certainly, certainly we can forgive others who've sinned against us and let it go. You know, the Lord has blotted out all of our sins. Speaking of the new covenant, which we're all under as Christians, the Lord not only said he would blot out our sins, he says he would forget them. Jeremiah 31, 34, the Lord says, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And in the book of Micah, we read that God has cast our sin into the depths of the ocean. Micah 7, 9, and Cory ten Boom has famously you know, said that God has also posted a no fishing sign there where he's cast uh, our sins into the sea. You know, isn't that great news? God help us to put away people's sins, to forgive them and put away those wrongs so that we don't keep dredging them up and bringing them up and then holding it over their heads. Yeah, but that, this is what you did to me. You know, that's not biblical forgiveness. It's not the forgiveness Jesus is talking about here. To be like this unforgiving servant is like being in a prison. You know, it's, it's like being constantly tortured. Having unforgiveness towards somebody is torture, right? It tears you up on the inside. It eats you away as you slip into this life of bitterness, constantly being tortured because of the thought of the wrongs that have been perpetrated against me right? Forgiveness is the key to that prison door. Forgiving others who have wronged us sets us free to focus on the Lord and live an unencumbered life for him. I want to close with a story from the life of Corey Ten Boom. Maybe you've, you've heard this. Maybe you haven't. But she says, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. In 1947, uh, I had come from Holland to defeated, uh, ger- to, uh, defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. 
It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe be because the, the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I looked, or I like to think that's where, we're, our, that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, they collected their wraps. In silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and brown hat. The next, a blue uniform, a visor cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, a huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who spoke so glibly about forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, who since had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking I could not, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God, that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it only as a commandment of God, but I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids, it was as simple and as horrific as that. And, I, I still, and still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. 
But forgiveness is not an emotion, and I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I silently prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You need to supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You know what? If you're struggling with unforgiveness in your heart this morning, you know what? Pray and ask the Lord to give you the strength to forgive those who have sinned against you. And I promise you, you know, he'll work in your heart if you'll let him. You know, you just have to surrender and let him do it. You know, if you're here watching online, um, watching just the video, you know, months after the fact, you know, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, one day you're going to stand before him, you know, as your judge, and you're going to have to give an account of your life. Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. This side of heaven, you have the chance to confess Jesus as Lord unto salvation, Right? You can be forgiven of your sins and have them completely blotted out, never be remembered by God again, right? Not because of who or what you are, not because of any good works that uh, any of us have done, but because of God's love and compassion for you. God loves you. God demonstrated that love by paying the price for your sins. God absorbed the debt, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God that our sins deserve, that your sins deserve. And the Bible says, if you will come to him humbly, confessing your sins and ask him for forgiveness, he'll forgive you and set you free, right? And when you die, he'll receive you into heaven. But if you refuse Jesus as your savior, when you die, well, then it will be too late. You will Confess Jesus as Lord at that time. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But then it won't be unto salvation. It will be unto condemnation. Right at that point, there is no forgiveness for sin. Just a certain fearful expectation of judgment. You know, the choice is ours to make. If you've never given your heart to Christ, I encourage you, do it. Give up, surrender, give your life to Jesus, receive a free gift of salvation, and then follow him with all your heart. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness that you've extended to me personally. I want to thank you for that. 
I've done terrible things, Lord. And you've taken them out of the way. You've nailed them to the cross, Lord. I don't have to answer for those sins now because you took them away from me and freed me from a debt so great. I thank you, Lord. And I know that that's each one of our stories. Lord, maybe the next person wasn't as bad as me. Maybe the next person's worse than me. All I know is we all are sinners and we all fall short and we all need a Savior. And I'm so thankful that, Father, you demonstrated your love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never given your heart to the Lord, you know, it's just a prayer away just from the sincerity of your heart. Father, forgive me for my sins. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was buried and resurrected the third day. And now is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. So would you forgive me? Give me the Holy Spirit to give me the power to walk through this life in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, I freely give you my life now. I'm tired of the mess that I've made of it. Lord, I give it to you. And if you'll pray that, you know, Christ will come into your life. The Holy Spirit will come into your life. The Bible says you'll be born again and you'll be in a right relationship with God the Father, justified, just as if I've never sinned. So wonderful, so glorious. Lord, I just pray you move on people's hearts even now. Lord, and I just pray that people would cry out to you. Lord, for those of us that know you that are struggling with unforgiveness, Lord, God, help us. Give us your heart. Give us a forgiving heart. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.